Tonight, we are doing part two of our two-part series entitled The Struggle, coming from Romans chapter 7. Uh, uh, again, uh, this is the second part of part two for our series entitled The Struggle. We're going verse by verse through uh, chapter 7. Before we begin tonight, let's just ask the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, we come to you, God, in the precious name of Jesus. Lord God, we ask, God, that you would bring illumination to your word, God, that you would help me to break apart your word, God, that you would give us a greater understanding of how we get victory over the struggle that every child of God faces, the struggle of sin, God. We just ask, God, that that the words that go forth, God, would take root in the hearts of your people, Lord, that you would anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. And Lord, we give you praise and glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. And amen. amen. The struggle, when we talk about the struggle, we're speaking of the struggle that every child of God faces, and it's the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Now, every person on this earth struggles with the power of sin because we live in a sin-dominated world. The difference between the lost and the saved is that we have a power source to overcome the power of sin. That power source is grace. That power source is the Holy Spirit. That power source is the finished work of Jesus. And not only do we struggle with the constant inward pull of sin in various different directions, but we also struggle at times with letting go of our past. Now, I want to start off tonight by doing something. I want you to think about those things tonight that just seem to hold you captive. Uh, The things that seem to weigh you down with guilt and condemnation. The things that the enemy tries to remind you of so that you won't feel qualified to be used by God. The things the enemy says that because you did this and that, you foiled God's plan for your life. I want you to take a brief, brief moment to reminisce on those things. And then I want you to repeat these words after me tonight. I want you to say this here tonight. I am washed. I am am cleansed. I I have no past. past. The devil has no future. I place my transgressions transgressions in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Jesus. And I am free free to go on to do everything that God has appointed me to do in Jesus name. Amen. Now will you give God a hand clap of praise tonight? Uh, Paul said in in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, he said, not that I have already attained or that I am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of for me. And then he said in verse 13, he said, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Head. And then he said in verse 14, he said, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So not only does the cross give us victory over the penalty of sin, over our past, uh, to where our past has no power over us, it also gives us victory over our present struggles. Now let me say this here tonight, that anytime we are confronted with temptation, 
We have to decide, are we going to trust in our flesh to overcome it, or are we going to rely on the Spirit of God? God said, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it is by my Spirit, says the Lord. And so the first step to getting victory over sin in our life is realizing that this is not something that can be overcome through human might. It's not something that can be overcome through human effort, but God said it is by my spirit, says the Lord. When Moses was backed up against the Red Sea with the children of Israel and the Egyptians were pursuing them, uh, God didn't give Moses a pep talk or a motivational speech. Uh, He didn't tell him you just need to believe in yourself. He did not say you can do this if you just try hard enough or if you just find the strength within you. I know some preachers out there like to tell the people that you just need to believe in yourself or that you just need to find the strength within you. God didn't say anything like that. He just said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And so the answer to get victory over sin in your life, it's not building up the flesh and uh, just self-motivation and giving people pep talks. You've got to realize that you cannot overcome the power of sin through the flesh. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it is by the Spirit of God. When Jephthah was called upon to lead the people of God against the Ammonites, it says that the Spirit of God came upon Jephthah and that God delivered them into his hands. Jephthah realized that he could not overcome the Ammonites in his life through the flesh, but it was going to take the Spirit of God. Now, some think that if you're saved, that you will no longer struggle with sin. And there are some who teach the doctrine of sinless perfection, which is basically that once you get saved, you will never fall short again in your life. And they say that if you do sin, that it's because you weren't truly saved to begin with. And that is such a dangerous teaching and such a dangerous doctrine because if people don't realize that even as a child of God, they still have the sinful nature residing within them, then every time they fall short, they're going to question whether or not they're saved and they're constantly going to be insecure with the salvation that God has. But the Bible says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. But even once we get saved, we're going to have times when we fall short. We're going to have times of of weaknesses in your life. God never said you will never struggle with sin, but rather that the sin nature will no longer have dominion over you. That's good news here tonight. That even when we fall short and even when we mess up, that sin can no longer dominate your life. It can no longer control your life because you've got a greater power source as a child of God and that is the Spirit of God working in your life. And so we are still living in a fallen world and we do slip up at times and we never justify our failure, but we must realize in those moments that we have grace and we have mercy in our time of need. A righteous man, not an unrighteous man, a righteous man falls down seven times but rises again so every child of God is struggling with something Every believer is facing obstacles of temptation temptation in their life. Now, I want to say this here tonight. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus himself was tempted. 
We all go through temptation. So temptation is not, it's not a sin. Giving into temptation is a sin. But let me say this here tonight. When you fall, that's not the end of your story. It's the beginning of God's restoration if you will allow his grace to pick you back up. And so don't allow your past to hold you captive forever. That's not God's will. That's not God's plan. And that's not God's voice over your life. Paul said that he was the chief of all sinners, but he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you must get back up. You must keep on going. You must brush the dirt off and keep moving forward. Whether it's the the enemy reminding you of your past, whether it's the folks around you, whether it's your own heart that is condemning you, you must constantly, constantly remind yourself of who God says that you are and never give into the feelings of guilt and condemnation. There's a very thin line between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is of God. Conviction comes through the Spirit of God. If you're going to church and there's no conviction, then something's wrong because when the truth is preached, the truth convicts our hearts. When the truth is proclaimed, it reveals things in our life that need to change. And that's a good thing. That's that's there to help us. Conviction is a healthy healthy thing. Conviction helps us stay on course. Conviction is, is a tool of the Holy Spirit to drive us closer to Jesus. But condemnation is hell's agent to drive you away from God. And so if your conviction is no longer just conviction, now you're constantly weighed down with guilt and shame and condemnation. That's not God. That's not God's voice. That's not the spirit of God. And you've got to constantly remind yourself of who God says that you are. The Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. He would say, oh, my soul, why are you cast down? Why are you disquieted within me? He had to encourage himself in the Lord. It's a biblical thing. It's a scriptural thing to encourage yourself in the word of God. I know in ministry, it's easy to forget that you're always uh, giving to others and ministering to others and sowing into others. But uh, we in the, in the ministry, we also need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We need to remind ourselves of the promises of God. We need to remind ourselves of the plan of God. God does not work with what was. He works with what is. And if you will allow God to take over your your life in this moment, then he will make something out of it and use it for his glory. Now here in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14, Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14, we see Paul's struggle with the sin nature. Verse 14, it says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Again, we know that the law is spiritual, But I am carnal, sold under sin. Now that word spiritual there just simply means it's not carnal. It means that the law did not originate by man. The law, the Old Testament law, it was birthed by the Spirit of God. The word for spiritual in the Greek is pneumatikos, which means birthed by the Holy Spirit. The law was inspired by the Holy Spirit. The law was perfect and holy and righteous and good. There's nothing wrong with the law. The issue is with us. The issue is with sin. He said, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And that word sold there, it means that that sin has 
has foreclosed the mortgage and owns its slave. What happens when you don't pay your mortgage? Your house goes under foreclosure and the lender then takes possession of that home. You see all the time uh, videos with people who didn't pay their car note and the repossessors come and they take their car and the people get all angry and upset and they were the ones that didn't pay their bill. And so basically that possession is then repossessed by the lender. And the Bible says that, that uh, Paul said, I am carnal sold under sin, which what Paul was saying is that sin was holding him captive. Uh, sin, owned, sin owned him. Sin dominated his life. Sin controlled his life. Every one of us, before we got saved, we were, we were dominated by the power of sin. We were controlled by sin. But even as a child of God, if you're not living for God properly and your faith doesn't remain in the finished work of Jesus and you're trusting in the flesh and you're trusting in self, then you, just like Paul, once again, you can come under the dominion and the power of sin. Again, when Paul was talking about this, this uh, experience in his life, this was not a pre-conversion experience. This was post-conversion. This was after Paul was saved. This was after Paul was born again. This was after Paul had received the Holy Spirit. Paul had surrendered his life to Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was truly transformed by the power of God. He was truly changed through the gospel. He experienced the born again experience, but here he is once again controlled by the power of sin in his life. And there are so many believers today that are in the same place. They love God and, and, and they're trying to serve God. They're trying to please God, but they're dominated by sin. And they go to other Christians and they go to preachers and, and they say, you know, I'm struggling with this and I'm struggling with that. And, you know, usually when someone is struggling with sin and they ask somebody how to get victory, it's a good indication of where that individual's faith is and where that individual's trust is in. If somebody goes up to an individual, up to a preacher, another uh, fellow believer, and they say, hey, I'm struggling with sin, and I just don't know how to get victory. You know, oftentimes in the church world, people say, well, you just need to try harder. Or they'll start directing you to works and say, well, you just need to pray longer. How, how, how long are you praying every day? Maybe, maybe you need to fast longer. And that, that can be one of the worst because if somebody thinks that fasting is what gives them victory over sin, and then they're still struggling with sin, then what's going to happen is they think they need to fast longer, and they're just going to be a skinnier version of the person that they were, still dominated by the power of the sin nature. Because really what you're trying to do is you're trying to work for something, and you're trying to earn something that was already paid for 2,000 years ago on the cross. I, I don't fast to get victory. I fast on the basis of that victory. I know that God has already afforded that victory to me by faith. And so I don't do anything to get something. I do what I do because I know I've already got something. Uh, when the children of Israel were marching around the walls of Jericho, the Bible does not say that their shout brought the walls down. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that their faith brought the walls of Jericho down. You see, we don't shout to get it. We shout because we've already got it. We don't pray to get it. We pray because we believe by faith we already have received it. 
because of what Jesus has done for us, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so if you're struggling with sin, I want you to take heart tonight and I want you to know that you're not alone tonight. I want you to know not to give up, not to quit. Don't be like Peter and say, I can't live this stuff and I'm going to go back to what I used to do before I started following Jesus. I'm going back to fishing. The Bible says that when Peter went back to fishing, you know, you know what the Bible says? It says that he caught absolutely nothing. Yeah. You, you know, so often the devil will tell you, if you weren't serving God, life would be so much better. If you weren't following Jesus, if you weren't in the ministry, you could have all this. You could have all the glamour. You could have all the money. You could have all the fame. And he tries to convince you that the grass is greener on the other side. The devil did it to Peter. And Peter said, if only I'll just go back fishing. Maybe life will be better. Maybe I won't have to go through the same shame and guilt and condemnation. Maybe uh, there's a better life going back to what I used to do. But Peter, he caught absolutely nothing. But one day, Jesus said, I'm out there fishing and Jesus said hey did you catch anything hey did you catch anything hey did you catch anything and Peter said I know that voice I, I've heard that voice before and then he saw Jesus off on the shore and the Bible says that Peter he threw off his coat and he started swimming he said I'm not letting anything keep me from getting back to Jesus I'm not letting anybody or anything hold me back from running back to Jesus and when Peter got back to shore Jesus had a nice hot meal of restoration laid out for him Peter didn't have to bring anything it was already prepared for him. As the song says, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross. I cling. All you've got to do is come running back to Jesus and God will pick you back up and you can pick back up where you left off. Don't let the devil hold you captive with guilt and shame and condemnation. Don't let the devil tell you there's no way for victory. Don't let the devil convince you that there's no way to get freedom over the power of sin. The devil is a liar and he knows he's defeated and if you will keep your faith in Jesus and his shed blood, then you too can have victory in your life. Can you give God a hand of praise tonight? Hallelujah. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And so this refers to the fact that man within himself has no spirituality whatsoever. That, that man is completely void of a spiritual or divine nature. And, and really the idea here is this. How can a carnal man keep and obey a law that is spiritual? How can we as imperfect human beings live up to the perfect standard of God, which was the law? The law was God's standard. So how can we that are sin sick and our hearts are desperately wicked, deceitful above all things, how can we live up to God's moral standard? The answer is we can't, but Jesus did. And by faith in Jesus and being in Christ, then you too can live up to that standard of righteousness. And so it can't be done without a divine impartation of God's life produced by faith, which supplies a flow of the Holy Spirit to empower the believer to walk in victory. And then in verse 15, Paul said this, for that which I do, I allow not, but what I would that I do, but what I hate that do I. So what was Paul saying here? Paul was saying here that the things that he wanted to do, he couldn't do. And then the things that he didn't want to do, he found himself doing. <clears throat> Have you ever found that yourself in that place? Trying to serve God. 
And the things that you didn't want to do, you found yourself doing. The things you wanted to do, things like going to church and entering into worship and praying and seeking the face of God, you just felt like you didn't have the strength within you to do it. So he said, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that do I. And so what Paul is saying here is I'm really trying to serve God. But I do not understand why no matter how hard I try, sin is still manifesting itself and I am still failing. He said, for what I do, that do I not. So what he's saying here is that his desire is to please God, but he cannot find the capacity or ability to do so. He said, but what I hate, that I do. And so this here, it refers to the sin in his life that he hates, yet no matter how hard he tries, he cannot stop. Have you ever been in that place? You hate any child of God, anyone who truly loves God, anybody who's following after Jesus even when they fall short, they should feel convicted about it. That's, that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. And Paul was saying, but what I hate, the things I hate doing, I still find myself doing them. This is Paul. This is a man that wrote half of the New Testament. This was a man that God revealed the new covenant to the church through. Uh, this was a man that God used in such a tremendous way. And yet he had to come to this place where he realized that he could not live for God through his own strength and live for God through his own effort. Verse 16, he said, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Or in the New King James, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So this phrase here, it presents the fact that Paul is really doing something against his own will. He's trying with all of his strength not to do it. However, he finds himself doing it anyway. And this is a reality because the power of sin, of the sin nature, can never be overcome by a life lived in the flesh. You know, Paul, he had to tell the church of Galatia. Many of you are familiar with the story in the book of Galatians. Uh, the, the gospel had been preached uh, to the church in Galatia. Uh, they accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Uh, although they did, they did not physically witness the crucifixion of Jesus, it was so real to them. And the Holy Spirit... Uh, painted such a perfect picture for the church of Galatia that it was almost as if they saw it with their own physical eyes. That's how real it was in their spirit. But then there were these false teachers that came along and they said, yes, you got saved by faith. That's great. Yes, you, you believed in the finished work of Jesus for your salvation, but now you got to keep the law. Now you got to live by the Old Testament law. Now you got to mix the law of Moses with grace. But you cannot mix law with grace. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot be trusting in the finished work of Jesus and be trusting in your own works at the same time. And the children of Israel, or not the children of Israel, but the church of Galatia, you know, it took you about 2,000 years back, but the church of Galatia, they had this mindset, God did his part by saving me, but now it's left up to me to try to please God. 
God did his part by forgiving my sin through the cross, but now I've got to do, do, do in order to get victory over the power of sin in my life. The gospel is not do, do, do. The gospel is done, done, done. And so if you want to experience victory over the power of sin, you experience victory over the power of sin the same way you experience victory over the penalty of sin. There is absolutely nothing you could do in the flesh to overcome sin. You just simply received it by grace through faith and the spirit of God did the rest of the work and Paul had to say to the church of Galatia he said are you so foolish having begun in the spirit are you now made perfect by the flesh Uh, made perfect is speaking of our sanctification process Paul was saying are you so foolish having been justified by faith are you now sanctified through your works you, you received justification the moment you believed. Are you now convinced that you can sanctify yourself and that you can cleanse yourself and that you can make yourself more like Jesus? No, absolutely not. The same way we got in is the same way we stay in. The same way we were saved is the same way that we're sanctified. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. There's no amount of good works that will accomplish it in your life. It comes solely by faith. And once your faith is right, then you're going to want to pray. Once your faith is right, then you're going to want to read the word. Once your faith is right, you're going to want to develop discipline in your life and set aside time to seek the face of God. But you're going to be doing it from the right posture and you're going to be doing it with the right heart. You're going to be doing it with the right motivation. It's no longer going to be to try to please God and to earn the righteousness of God. It's going to come through a realization that you are already righteous with God. And now it's it's time to... uh, enter into relationship with God and have communion and fellowship with God. And he said, I consent unto the law that it is good. And so the fact that Paul has a desire to do with what the law demands, the desire to do what the law demands, it speaks of the goodness of law and the goodness of the law. And even though Paul couldn't keep it according to the flesh, the desire that he had to keep it, it spoke of its goodness. In verse 17, He said, now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Again, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, the first portion of this verse here is not to give believers a license to sin. Because some people, they can take this to basically do away with personal accountability. And we are accountable for the way we live. We are accountable uh, for our life. And so it must be in context with the rest of this, this verse, which implies that it was his sin nature in him that did those things that he did not want to do. And so really the emphasis in this verse is the cause of what was taking place, which was the sin nature. Sin nature. Now, for those of you who aren't listening to part one, and many of you are familiar with this, but when Paul, when he spoke of sin here throughout the book of Romans, Paul wasn't speaking of actions of sin, but if you look in the Greek, there's a definite article here. And so it actually says the sin. And the reason why that's important is that Paul, he's not dealing with an action. He's dealing with a a noun. He's dealing with a thing. That thing is the sin nature that is within us. And so because of that thing that is within us, because of the sin nature that dwells within us, it causes us to sin. Uh, In order to uh, stop the production, first you got to shut down the factory. 
You know, if somebody has a, a big leak in their basement and water is, is spewing all over the place and a pipe is broken and water, water is going all over, you can keep trying to dry up that water and clean up that water. But until the production and until the source is shut down, you're just going to have that same issue. And so Paul, he's not just dealing with actions. He's dealing with the very root cause of the sin in our life, which is the sin nature. And so Paul was, was emphasizing the cause of the sin in his life, which was the sin nature dwelling within him. And then he said in verse 18, and this is such an important verse for us as believers to understand. He said, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh dwells no good thing or nothing good dwells for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good. I do not find, or I find not. Again, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing, that no good thing dwells. You know, I believe that before somebody gets saved, that they must first recognize the depravity of their own heart. Uh, so many people think that they're going to heaven because in their eyes, they, they think that they're a good person. But the Bible says that there are none good, no, not one. Uh, you could spend your whole life feeding the poor. You could spend your whole life uh, giving everything that you have to those in need. And, and in the natural, those are very noble things. Those are very commendable things. And those are very good things. But it does not make up for the imperfections and the depravity of our heart. And in order to come to a Savior, first we've got to realize our need for our Savior. And we've got to realize that in us, in our flesh, dwells no good thing. You've got to realize how messed up your heart is. You know, the gospel it's like a battery. You got to have a positive and a negative for it to work. The negative is we are all sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The good news is Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I remember walking into a big church down in Houston, Texas. I won't mention the name of the preacher, but I had a friend from South Africa and he was preaching at a church out there. And so he wanted to just take a look at this particular church building. And so we went in there and we didn't realize they were having a service on a Saturday. And that one particular preacher, if you want to call him a preacher, you can. But he said, a lot of people ask me he, he, uh, why I'm so positive. He said, I'm a, I'm a positive guy because God is a positive God. And, and hey, I believe that the gospel, it should bring positivity. I believe that the fact that we have salvation and redemption and victory through the cross of Jesus, that is a very positive thing. But in order to experience the positive, you must first get a revelation of the negative. The revelation of the negative is that we are all sinners, that we are all messed up, that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And Paul came to this realization in Romans chapter 7. He said, I know that in me, in my flesh dwells no good thing. And even as a child of God, every good thing within us it is only because of Jesus. It's only by the spirit of God working in our life. We don't have the ability or the power to produce good in our life. The good is produced by the spirit of God. And so he said, I know that in me dwells no good thing. 
And that, those, that expression there dwells no good thing is in regard to man's ability to please God in the flesh. You know, everything in man's disposition is at enmity with God. He said, for to will is present with me. So again, Paul is saying that the desire to keep the commandments, are you still with me here tonight? That the desire to keep the commandments and obey God is present with me. But then he said this, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. So Paul here, he's saying that while the desire to perform God's will was always with him, the ability or the power to perform it was not. This is a born again child of God. He's saved. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit and still be dominated by the power of sin. You can, I mean, you can be worshiping. You could be a phenomenal worship leader, a gifted worship leader. You can be, hey, how about this? You can be an anointed preacher. You, you can be a gifted preacher. You can be articulate. You can be gifted. The spirit of God can be upon you to preach the word of God. And yet you still be dominated by the flesh and still dominated by the power of sin and still struggling with sin because the gifts of God are without repentance. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And so you can be gifted and you can be called and yet you're still overcome by the struggle. You're still overcome with the struggle of sin. And here's Paul. Paul, he's a preacher. He's preaching to the church in Rome. And yet he said, for I know that in me, that in me, in my flesh dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. I was in this place when I first got saved. I loved God. I wanted to serve God. I wanted to answer the call of God. I wanted to be used by God. I wanted to live according to the word of God. I wanted to live a life pleasing to God. But no matter how hard I tried, I could not find the ability to do so. And that's a very vulnerable place for a Christian to be. Because when you're struggling and you're, you're trying to get victory in your life, you'll take whatever people give you. And people will try to give you all these different remedies and all these different solutions. And that's why it's so important to understand the cross of Jesus. You know, when we talk about the cross of Jesus, we're not talking about a wooden beam. We're not talking about an icon. We're not talking about a necklace. Even if you found the literal wooden beam that Jesus died on 2,000 years ago, that wood would have no power to give you victory in your life. And so when we speak of the cross, we're talking about the event that took place 2,000 years ago that afforded you victory in your life. And so Paul He eventually did find out how to perform God's will, but the emphasis here is that he could not find it in himself. And then in verse 19, he said this. He said, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil that I would not, that I do. Or in the New King James, for the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. And then in verse 20, he said, now, if I do that, which I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Or now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So really what Paul is conveying here is how powerful the sin nature really is. The sin nature is, isn't a joke. The sin nature is a powerful force that, that resides within us. Now, the good news is, is that sin as a child of God can be rendered powerless in your life as long as your faith is right. If you try to get victory over the power of sin through the flesh, 
you know, we have the expression that you're essentially tying the hands of the Holy Spirit. Because God is going to say, okay, if you think you can do this on your own. God, he's not going to force himself upon you. He's not going to force you to believe. He's not going to override your free will. Ultimately, you have to decide whether you're going to trust in him or you're going to trust in the flesh. And if you're trusting in the flesh, then you're not trusting in the Holy Spirit. And sometimes God will allow us to go our own way. And then we're going to fall flat on our face and realize that we can't do it on our own and hopefully that will bring us to the end of ourselves so then we'll then trust in God so he said now if I do what I will not to do it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me and that word dwell there it literally means to occupy a house it means to reside or to cohabit to occupy a house to reside to remain or to cohabit. And so what this here, this verse does, it really strengthens the reality that we all have a sinful nature even after conversion. And if self is not hidden in Christ, then the sin nature will dominate the believer. Even once you're converted, even once you're born again, even once again, even uh, after you've accepted Jesus, if your life isn't constantly hidden in Christ, if you're not continually trusting in Christ, then you will continue to struggle with the power of sin. In verse 21, it says this, a few more verses here tonight. Verse 21, he said, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Again, I find then a law that, uh, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, is how the New King James says it. And the King James, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Now, it's important to understand here that the law here that Paul's talking about, this is not the law of Moses. This, this has nothing to do with the Old Testament law, but Paul, he's talking about the law of sin and death. And so these are spiritual laws that are in effect. Uh, you see it talked about here in Romans chapter 7. And then you see uh, in Romans chapter 8, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And so these are spiritual laws that are in effect. And so Paul says, I find then a law. This is speaking of the law of sin and death, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. And the word present, it means to, to lie near or to be at hand to lie near or to be at hand. So Paul is saying that the sin nature, it, it was always present with him. The sin nature, it was always at hand. And if the sin nature is not placed in Christ by identification, it will dominate the believer to where no matter how hard he tries to do good, he'll still live in failure and defeat. Verse 22, he said, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. And so here, this is another reason why we know that Paul was saved because he was delighting in the law of God. He was de delighting in the word of God. How many people do you know that aren't saved that, de not, that delight in the law of God? Nobody. Well, if they're not saved, they have no desire to live according to the word of God. If they're not born again, they don't have that new nature within them, the, the divine nature within them that, that gives us the desire to know the word of God, gives us the desire to follow the Lord. All of you could attest to, to that time when you got saved. All of the things that you used to love doing, you now hated doing. And then the things that you hated doing, like going to church and, and, and listening to worship 
music, then you found yourself loving those things because God, he changes your heart. And, And that's why I don't try to change people. I don't try to change a sinner. I don't try to change a drug addict. I don't try to change an alcoholic. I just preach the gospel to them because I know that it can only be done through the spirit of God. And if God gets a hold of their heart, then he's going to begin to take those desires out of their heart. And you're not going to have to tell them not to do this or tell them not to do that. The spirit of God will convict them and they'll just no longer want to do those things. And sometimes it's instant. Sometimes it's progressive. Sometimes it happens overnight and there are others where it takes a process. Our job as a church is to continue to encourage them and support them along their journey because it's only by the grace of God that we are where we are today and it will only be through the grace of God that they will get to where they need to be. We're all in that process of sanctification and, and you know for me there were things in my life that God just immediately dropped off and then there were other things in my life that I knew weren't right but I just didn't want to give them up yet and so I would say well you know maybe I could enjoy that thing if, if, I, if I do it again. And then I would do it again. And, I, you know, I'd be like, no, but it just ain't the same. And then, you know, weeks later, I'm like, well, maybe, maybe, you know, I can enjoy it now. And maybe I can get high now and, and enjoy it. And I'd just be miserable. I'd look at myself in the mirror and I'd think, you know, who am I? This isn't who I'm supposed to be. This isn't what God has called me to be. And so as a child of God, God will begin to change your desires. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. And so because Paul has been born again and does have a new nature and position, he has a desire to obey the law of God. He is in essence saying, I really want to please and obey God. But then he says this in verse 23, listen to this tonight. He said, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Again, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, listen tonight, and bring me, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So this phrase here, really what it refers to is the law of sin and death, the law of my mind. Uh, it really has to do with the sinful nature. The law of sin and death and the sin nature ultimately manifest itself in our in our members in our in our eyes in our ears in our in our mouths and in, in in our physical bodies physical bodies he said i see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members so when paul said it was warring against the law of my mind you still with me here tonight yes. warring against the law of my mind This speaks of Paul's desire to obey God's law. It is the law of desire and willpower. The law of his mind, he said, warring against the law of my mind. It really speaks of his desire and his willpower. You see, the law of sin and death will always war with our desire and our willpower. Sin will always war with our desire and willpower. That's why we're teaching on the struggle. That's the struggle right there. It's a war between sin and our willpower. It's a war between sin and our desire. It's a war between sin and our effort to please God. And he said, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Again, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So while sin, it begins in the heart, it has its conclusion in the members of the physical body. And so Paul is very simply stating that the law of sin and death is more powerful than the law of desire and willpower. 
He said it was bringing him into captivity. You know what that word captivity means? It means to lead away captive like a prisoner of war. To lead away captive like a prisoner of war. Paul was saying that he was, he was being led away captive by the power of sin, just like a prisoner in war. And then he says this in verse 24. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Oh, wretched man that I am. You know what that word wretched there means? It means miserable. Oh, miserable man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of of this death. I know a lot of people will say, well, you just need to believe in yourself. You know what Paul said? Paul said, first, you've got to realize that you're miserable. You've got to realize that you're wretched. You've got to realize that you're a sinner. You've got to realize how messed up your heart is. Paul didn't say, you just got to believe in yourself. You just got to find the best within you. You're a champion. You got to find the champion within you. No, he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? And so here Paul, he finally is brought to the end of, it, of himself. He has exhausted all of his efforts and all he can do is cry out to God in repentance because he had depended on his own strength. And he cries out to God here in desperation, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? This was a, a wail of anguish and a cry for help. You notice here, he did not say, what will deliver me from the body of this death? But he said, who? Speaking of a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. He was crying out to a person here. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? Amen. So first, we got to come to the end of ourselves. First, we got to realize how messed up our heart is. Yes. And then we've got to realize where our help comes from. He said, who will deliver me from the body of this death? This death here, it refers to the miserable condition of the Christian who is dominated by the sin nature. The miserable condition of the Christian who is dominated by the sin nature. There's nothing more miserable than being a Christian trying to serve God and not knowing how to serve God. Trying to please God and still dominated by sin. Loving God and wanting to walk according to his truth and still no matter how hard they try, they're, they're struggling and they're dominated and they're broken and they're bound and they're depressed and they're condemned and they're, they feel shame and they feel guilt. There's nothing worse than being miserably saved. And Paul said, he said, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Who will deliver me from the all-encompassing weight of sin? And then in verse 25, he answers his own question. He said, I Thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He has finally found deliverance from the law of sin and death. Here he finds that victory and deliverance comes through the finished work of Jesus. And now he must place his faith entirely in that finished work. And it's only in that moment, it's only once you come to the end of yourself, it's only once you call upon Jesus and you realize that your victory cannot come through your own effort, but can only come through 
through him that you can find true rest in your soul. It's only when you come to the end of yourself and you realize that this is a job for the Lord. This is a, a, a battle. This is a struggle that only God can give me victory over. It's once you come to that place, then you can find rest. He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. You know what Jesus is saying to you tonight? He's saying, just come to me. Just come to me. Just come to me. Just come to me. You struggling with sin tonight? Just come to me. You battling addiction tonight? Just come to me. You battling alcoholism? Just come to me. Just come to me. Just come to me. Just come to me. You don't got to come to a church to get victory. You don't got to go to a denomination to get victory. You don't got to work for your victory. Jesus is saying, just come to me. Just come to me. Just come to me. And I will give you rest. Jesus was saying, you've got to cease from your own works. You've got to cease from your own effort. If anyone wants to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow after me. You must deny the flesh. You must deny your own ability to please God. Take up the cross daily and follow after Jesus. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Will you give God a hand clap of praise here tonight? There is a way to overcome that struggle in your life. I hope you take heart tonight and I hope you realize that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 8? He said, for the law of the spirit of life has made us free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death, it will not yield to willpower. It will not yield to self-effort. It will not yield to your own ability. The, the law of sin and death will only yield to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus will remain effect in your life as long as your faith is in Jesus and his finished work. Amen. Will you give God a hand clap of praise here tonight? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the cross tonight, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the victory that has been afforded to us, God. Lord, we thank you that you have given us a remedy. You have given us a solution. You have given us an antidote to the struggle that we face in our life, God. And Lord, we pray tonight, Lord, that your people would be encouraged, God. We take authority over every thought of condemnation, Lord. We take authority over every attack of the enemy, Lord. Every attack against the mind. Every attack against your people tonight. Every lying, uh, every lying word of the devil that tells them, God, that they'll never make it through, that they'll never overcome that, that every, every lie of the devil that brings them back to their past, God, we just pray tonight, Lord, that you would give your people victory, Lord. God, that they wouldn't just casually move forward, but Lord, that they would realize that they are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ our Lord. God, we pray that supernatural grace would rise up within them tonight, Lord. Lord, that the power of the Holy Spirit would operate in their life and would give them victory over the power of sin, God. We thank God tonight, Lord. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have made a way for us, God. God, we thank you that you have prescribed an order of victory for us, not through the flesh, but through the cross of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we place our faith exclusively in the finished work of Jesus tonight. 